0: This is the I Read Comic Books podcast. I am your interim host, Brian Murray. Mike Rappin is on his honeymoon. Joining me today are two of my favorite bipeds, Kara Shamborsky, hey, and Kate Lamphere.
1: Hi. I don't think I've ever been described as a biped before.
0: <laughs> I mean, am I wrong? No. Because <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'll 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 go back. No, then. it's just funny. Continue. What are we
1: talking about today, Brian?
0: <laughs> Well, today we are going to be talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month, which for this month was They Called Us Enemy, uh, written by George Takei. Before we get into that, uh, just one quick uh, housekeeping announcement that Kara and I have. Uh, We are going to be doing a Star Wars comics miniseries.
1: Called I read Star Wars comic books. And as you can tell, we're so ready for Rise of Skywalker. So we will, we have ambitiously committed to doing nine episodes of this show so that everyone who's getting ready to be hyped about Star Wars can do so with us talking about Star Wars comic books.
0: It's going to be a great time. Our first episode is going to be coming out Uh, In the next week or two, we haven't exactly nailed down the release date yet, but uh, if you're at all interested in the Obi-Wan and Anakin comic, make sure you tune in.
2: Is that just going to be on Patreon
0: at first? Nope. This is going to be for all to enjoy, because as Kara so eloquently put it, Star Wars is for everyone.
1: It is. It is for everyone. the force is with us all okay i'm gonna stop i'm gonna save it for (laughs) a special show we can
0: continue (laughs) before we get into any more of that let's uh let's talk about what we read this past week kara how have you been how have comic books been what you been reading
1: I've been great. I have been reading all of the Star Wars books in preparation for our special show, and I won't get into all of them here, but our first episode is about Obi-Wan and Anakin, which I reread for this special recording that we did. And I gotta say, I forgot how good this book was and how much I appreciated it, both as a comic book fan and as a Star Wars fan. And as someone who doesn't normally notice comic book art, like, I like i i do but i don't like the the words are generally primary for me but while reading obi wan and anakin i was really taken by uh the coloring choices and since that's an unusual thing for me to be taken by i was like okay all right i see what you're doing marvel you got this uh so i'm very excited to talk about that book a little bit more in depth for our first episode of i read star wars comic books cool short
0: and sweet kate what about you
2: i went to a very loud halloween party last night so if my voice is a little bit hoarse or if i can't talk at all (laughs) i apologize um i read a book called sarah and the royal stars this was by vault comics and the writer is john suey artist is audrey mock colorist is someone i didn't write down i apologize (laughs) Um, This is just the very first issue, but it's only got five issues to it. It's a mini. The last issue is releasing Wednesday. So I am um, behind this book. This was sent to us to read and review on the podcast, but I'm definitely going to be adding this to my poll list. This reminded me a lot of From Under Mountains, which was our book of the month for February. It's got a similar desert Arabian setting and a call to action for a female point of view character. It also reminded me of The Woman Who Rides Like a Man by Tamora Pierce, which is a young adult prose book that I was in love with as a kid and I'm still in love with as as an adult. It's got a similar setting and call to action, but then the main character is also chosen by a god. And so in Sarah and the Royal Stars, you find out, Find that out pretty quickly, that she's been chosen, that she's getting these visions to save her people. She's some kind of royal that I haven't quite figured out yet. I don't know that she's a princess, but she's definitely high class. Um, And I'm really into this book. It ended on a cliffhanger in a library, I think. I'm pretty sure from the the background uh, art. So I'm ready for number two. I have to go to the comic shop right now to get it.
0: Okay, well, Kate, we'll talk to you later. Thanks for uh, joining in. Uh, Yep, bye. That's
2: that's been me. (laughs) Brian, what about you?
0: Like Kara, I have been uh, consumed by reading Star Wars books in preparation for our upcoming I Read Star Wars Comics series. Uh, For me, the one that I read most recently was Mace Windu, Jedi of the Republic, which I actually got the first issue of way back when. And just kind of, I wasn't really super feeling it at the time, so I didn't continue buying it. And now that I've read the trade, I feel like a fool, because this book is actually pretty awesome. Like Kara, I won't go into too many details, because I want to give you some incentive to come and listen later. But it's uh, it's a good book, and it definitely shines some light on Mace Windu as a character. And uh, in my opinion, some of the things that are wrong with the Jedi Order. So, that'll be that'll be my teaser
1: (laughs) very cryptic brian love to tune into i read star wars comic books episode three to find out more
0: (laughs) yeah so it'll be in like a month (laughs) comics this week come out on wednesday october 30th 2019 uh kate what are you picking up this week I'm going to pick up
2: the last
0: issue of
2: Giant Days, which is a devastating thing to say. It's called As Time Goes By, and it's numbered as a number one, but it is only a one-shot, so don't start looking for number two and be disappointed. Um, This is uh, by John Allison and Max Sarin. We've talked about this a lot, especially the three of us on this show. I, I cannot believe that it's over. I need to restart the entire series just to revisit these characters again. This particular issue comes one year after the girls' graduation from university, and the description includes the quote, the year apart has not been easy for all of them, and this reunion will only draw out the secrets they have that they've been keeping for too long. Ah. So I have to know what they are. <laughs> yeah, I saw that that
1: book was coming out, and I guess it, it's oversized because the price point in the U.S.
2: is, I think, seven ninety nine. Okay, that seems right. I feel like... The other like seasonal specials, the Christmas specials, have also been more expensive, oversized books. Am I right? Does that sound familiar? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, okay, I think so they've that's... all
0: been like in the four ninety nine, five ninety nine range.
2: Okay. Yeah. So that's something that this book has done before. Then that's fine with me. I'm hap- I'm happy to pay more for a longer giant days, especially if it's our last one. Kara, what are you excited about? Okay. So
1: one of the things that i simultaneously appreciate and abhor about disney is that they merchandise the hell out of everything and <laughs> uh and this year they're celebrating a few different milestones like it was mickey's 90th anniversary it's the 50th anniversary of the haunted mansion ride at disneyland and it's the 30th anniversary of the little mermaid. And so all of these things have been merchandised to death and I was like like as a fan of all of these things, I was like, okay, cool, but also I would like to save some of my money. So stop. But um okay, so so if you were to ask me what my favorite Disney who my favorite Disney princess is as like a knee-jerk reaction. I will probably say Ariel every time just because uh, that movie is as old as I am. And so I grew up watching it and um, I would always just like my, my parents tell this story where I, when I was like super little and watching it I would just kind of watch it and I only wanted to watch this movie and I would watch it over and over and over again but just kind of like sit there and stare and so they were reaching a point where they were like is, is she okay is this normal television watching behavior <laughs> like should we be concerned and then they said they were like driving in the car one day and I was in the back seat and all of a sudden the Little Mermaid soundtrack started up and they thought for a minute that maybe they had had like a cassette tape going on and they were really confused and. They turned around and they saw that I was just singing the soundtrack and I knew all the words and they were like, and so that's how we figured out that you had in fact been studying the movie and didn't want to open your mouth until you had memorized it. And I was like, that explains (laughs) so much about me as a person in this one anecdote. (laughs) Anyway... So this is a really, really long way of me saying that I am excited for The Little Mermaid number one from Dark Horse, which is a thing that is happening for some reason. And that reason, I say for some reason, but obviously it's getting more money out of people like me who are like, Disney? Making more? Okay. But, um... I'm interested in this comic adaptation because they're doing it from Ariel's point of view, and so I looked at some of the preview pages on the Dark Horse website, and it's it's basically it's following the movie, but you've got the addition of um, the like monologue boxes that you see in comics where it's just what's going on in that character's head, and so it's just. There's so much of that movie where Ariel is literally silent. And I'm interested to see through this comic what she's actually thinking. Cause all we've had to go on from the movie is how, like, what her body language is and how she's using, like, a rudimentary sign language to try to get her point across. And that's, like, pretty clear. But I like the idea of having an additional like actually written down monologue so we can get a little bit more nuance to her character that maybe was lacking in the 1989 film so my pick for the week of October 30th is The Little Mermaid number one from Dark Horse this is totally an emotional choice that I don't care
2: <laughs> so is it going to cover the entire movie do you know if they're going to like like add scenes that weren't in the movie or anything like that They didn't really say
1: if they were going to do that in the solicit, but I wouldn't be entirely surprised because with any adaptation, I think there's a little bit of wiggle room um, to kind of explore maybe some things that ended up on the cutting room floor because they were going to exceed the desired runtime for the film, or even just adding a little more nuance to a scene where maybe you're not focusing on all the characters at once. So either way, I'm intrigued Do you know how many issues it's going to be? I do not. I think I read it was going to be like five or six, which sounds about right.
2: Okay, cool. Yeah, I'll have to check that out too. I was also very into The Little Mermaid as a kid.
1: Yeah, as millennials unite. (laughs) (laughs) Disney wants all our money. Let's give it to them.
0: (laughs) Coming to you on November 12. (laughs) Well, for me this week, uh, I know Mike isn't here, so somebody had to pick an X book in his honor. So I've chosen Excalibur number one. It's written by Teeny Howard with art by Marcus Toe and covers by Mahmoud Asrar. And uh, this got my attention because it is one of the weirder teams I've ever seen. And if there's one thing I'm a sucker for, it's team books. And if there's two things, it's team books and weird stuff. <laughs> so this weird team book is right up my alley. It's got uh, Captain Britain leading the way. And uh this is I think a new Captain Britain, but I'm not familiar with the character at all, so I can't really say. We also have Rogue and Gambit, which uh I'm sure Mike's ears just perked up in Japan. <laughs> um then we have Jubilee and Apocalypse rounding things out. Um it is apparently that Apocalypse, like the 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 bad guy Apocalypse i'm not sure maybe if i'd been reading house of x or powers of x or what have you that would make more sense to me but my frame of reference for apocalypse is blue oscar
1: isaac and that regrettable film but so uh, so all of this like i'm just like okay
0: all right go on <laughs> yeah that was a that was a rough one wasn't it <laughs>
1: <laughs> i literally just remember that he was there and he was blue and the rest of the film i just had nothing but questions so when you're saying, oh, he's in this book for reasons, I'm like, that sounds about like the same amount of logic as that film. So sure, ex- he's on this yeah. team. It's fine.
0: Yeah, explain. Um, I don't know if Jubilee is still a vampire or not. So that'll be, that'll be fun to touch base with her again.
2: I don't know who Captain um, Britain yeah. is, and I didn't know that Jubilee was ever a vampire. So I guess I have to read more X-Men.
0: Yeah, yeah. Jubilee was a vampire for a minute. She also had a a kid that I'm not sure was her kid or if she just like found this child um I don't know it's it's x books man what do you what are you gonna do? <laughs>
2: we'll just question Mike when he gets back
0: <laughs> yeah whenever whenever Mike comes home, we'll just grill him for information and yeah that's uh, that's all I have to say about that. It's gonna be weird, and I'm excited for it. All right, that's what we're looking forward to this week. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll be talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month, They Called Us Enemy by George Decay. All right, so this week we're talking about the Goodreads Book of the Month, They Called Us Enemy, written by George Decay. Um, this was unsurprisingly um kind of a tough emotional read. you know it's about some very difficult subject matter uh Kara, you want to give us a quick quick rundown of the, the 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 plot of the book
1: so this is uh this book was a first person account of a piece of American history that is not very comprehensively taught in schools. Like, I uh, I think I learned about this maybe in high school briefly, and I remember just being like, what? That doesn't sound right. But there are a lot of places where it's just not taught, glossed over entirely. So uh, during World War II, when the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor, almost immediately after that, the United States government decided that... Japanese Americans were a potential security threat to America and uh, very rapidly excluded people of Japanese descent from living on virtually the entire West Coast, which is where a lot of them were living. So if you were of Japanese descent, you were transported to internment camps and there were 10 of varying security levels. And uh, it's kind of, under, it's understandable but shitty that this hasn't been talked about a lot in America because a lot of the narrative of 20th century American history is that it was the American century and America won World War II and they were the saviors and could do no wrong, which started to, and a narrative which started to kind of crumble around the Vietnam War and has definitely crumbled a little more with current events but um yeah <laughs> there's uh the the internment of uh Japanese Americans is definitely one of those things that is not often talked about um and so uh actor George Takei who uh many people know as Sulu from Star Trek, the original series, um, has been using his platform as an actor to uh, advocate and educate about a lot of uh, social justice causes. And so this was a recent project where he decided to share his memories of being a child in one of these internment camps. So like Brian said, this is a very emotional, sometimes difficult book to read because he's because takei is being really upfront with the fact that he's um like he had the memories of a child so he didn't fully understand what was going on at the time for him it was kind of like like he didn't understand the the history or the political background to him it was just oh we no longer live in our house in la we are now living in a horse stall that smells like poo and Now we're living in a cabin in Arkansas, and we're behind barbed wire. And it's just like, when you're a kid, things seem normal really quickly, even if they're not normal. So one of the most interesting things about this book that I found was that he was trying to be as honest as possible with his childhood memories, while also examining those memories through the lens of what he knows now uh contemporaneously
0: yeah definitely there's a moment when they arrive at the first camp they're sent to and they're being loaded into the horse stalls and young george has a line of like oh fun we get to sleep where the horses sleep and that's a a real gut punch of just like like we understand how horrifying this is but to a little kid it's just an adventure you know it's it's something new and different and that's so exciting
2: i felt the same way when they were on the train um george and his brother henry were all excited about being on this cool mode of transportation and taking this long ride and everything and as a person who was just on a train for a long ride i get it i get how it's exciting you can look out the window and like see all this cool stuff that you're passing but also he didn't understand why that was happening and like for me i'm like oh no oh no buddy
0: yeah and that's uh that's an aspect that he mentions that i wasn't even aware of was that whenever the trains went through a town they had to pull the blinds so that nobody could see them on the train and it's just like a a realization that you know the the government wouldn't try to hide them like that if they didn't understand that what they were doing was wrong
2: yeah i also wonder if there's an aspect to it about not wanting one of the japanese descendants to somehow ask someone out the window for help and to like kind of rile the rest of the the united states to protest against this which again you know the government then knew that it was wrong in the first place the part that got me about the train scene was the bit where jo-
1: George uh, Takei's narration uh, says, well, you know, my my dad just said that we were on vacation. So I thought that everyone who went on vacation had armed guards on their train cars. And I was like, oh, ooh, no, no, that's not a normal thing. Um Yeah, I I think that's what made this comic so difficult to read at points is that, you know, you're you're seeing things through the eye of a child, but as an adult, you know what's going on and you're just like, oh, oh no, oh God. Mm." And it's an uncomfortable subject, this entire concept that while America was fighting for freedom all over the world was at the same time imprisoning Americans. And I'm sure some people would say like, well... They technically weren't citizens, and I'm like, well, whose fault is that? American government of the late 1800s and early 1900s, because that was a you
2: choice. Some of them were, though, weren't they? They, at least, some of them were second, second and third generation,
1: right? But they they were living here. I think um, there was a part in the comic where they explained that um, Japanese were not allowed to become citizens. So maybe it's like the ones who were born here were American citizens, but the ones who had like moved here were denied the opportunity to naturalize. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not entirely clear on that, but they made allusions to the fact that it was actually kind of impossible for um, citizenship to happen. Like when they were talking about the part where uh, later in the war, Um, these questionnaires were sent out to all the camps that all of the interned people had to fill out and there was these like two questions towards the end where one of them was uh would you be willing to fight uh in the war like for the for the americans Mm -hmm. and the other question was like do you swear like loyalty to america and forsake the japanese emperor and all the japanese people in the camps reading these were like so you won't give me citizenship but you want me to fight and potentially die for you and you won't give me citizenship but you want me to give up my japanese citizenship so that makes me stateless and what so that was that was another uh aspect of this comic that i just i had no knowledge of this um questionnaire before reading it and like thinking about the implications of those questions super horrifying
0: yeah and to anybody interested in in learning more about the the impact of that questionnaire um i read a really great novel called uh, no no boy by john okada in college and it's kind of the it's the story of somebody who answered no to both of those questions like to parents did and about what happened to him after uh internment like after the war ended and he was allowed to go back to uh, i want to say los angeles or san francisco some southern california city but it's a it's a really great story about how the horrific treatment that Japanese Americans suffered did not end when the camps closed.
2: Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about um, those that first question, too, because they used the people that answered yes to would you fight for this country, and they created a army regimen that was just the people from the camps. And, of course, a whole lot of them died, and they weren't... Um, apologized to or honored or or paid for their service until the last two decades and this stuff happened in the 1940s so that in particular was totally new to me and those awards happened within my lifetime so you would have thought that i would have heard about that at least
0: yeah it was they were given like the the second highest honor that was available to a soldier and i think it wasn't until the year 2000 when the clinton administration finally like upgraded the honor to the uh i'm sorry i can't remember what it which which medal it was medal of honor that's the one thank you but yeah you're right i mean they if they if they hadn't been these nisei soldiers they would have gotten that in the first place and it's it's very frustrating that it took the better part of 60 years for them to get what they deserved
1: I think one of the more horrifying aspects of this comic to me was also uh, like towards the end when Takei is talking about how long it took for uh, this history and these actions to even start to be recognized. Um, He also pointed at like, this is also speaking to how recently this book was even published, um, talking about the, Family separations at the southern border uh, happening now, and the um, the whole like oh, if you're from these countries that just so happen to be predominantly Muslim, you can't come to the U.S. And those things are things that happened within the last two years. And it's very clear after reading this book that there are immediate parallels and it made me kind of horrified because when you're looking at history you can kind of detach yourself from it a little bit and be like well you know i wasn't alive at that time or i wasn't there or i didn't know so what could i have done but there's stuff like that happening today and it kind of made me have to examine my own actions kind of harshly because i'm like oh this is happening today what have i done about it what can i even do about it and just kind of reminding um, everyone who reads this book that really terrible things happen all the time, and it's up to us to do something about them.
0: Yeah, and that's something that uh, Adam in the Goodreads comments mentioned, that the story pulls you in all the way, even if it's because it's so hard to believe that this was real and recent, that it is an ancient history And he goes on to say that he hopes we can learn something from Takei's life. And yeah, I mean, it's not ancient history. It feels that way to us sometimes because this was all decades before we were born. But like you said, Kara, it's also still happening. There are people alive today who saw Japanese internment happening and thought that, you know, we had gotten past it and now we are turning different immigrants and what that must be like to, to to be someone who saw the country grow out of it so to speak only to do it again
1: well it's kind of like that that quote that those who don't learn from history are doomed to repeat it And so, as we said at the start of this episode, so few people know that Japanese internment was even a thing. So the things that are happening in America now might seem new and horrifying, but that just might be because a lot of people don't know that this is a thing that has happened before, and we didn't really talk about it before. So will this be a thing that we don't really talk about? Are we only really talking about new things now because we have more news options and social media and things that didn't exist in the 40s if there were more open lines of communication in the 40s would there have been more of an outcry and these are things that we just we just don't know
0: yeah i mean i i I try to be optimistic you know I, i try to think that social media has given a voice where there wasn't one before where people are able to get information from the people on the ground, so to speak, from people who are are witnessing these atrocities instead of relying on the, the news media to provide these stories.
2: Something that keeps getting me is that um, Roosevelt was the president then. And I think of Roosevelt as being the guy that opened up the national parks and organized the... Um, I think it was the CCC, the Civilian Conservation Corps, that built up a lot of those parks and gave a lot of people jobs during the Depression. He's the person that took us out of the Depression. So I'm, I had a really hard time taking that view of him and, and combining it with the idea that he was the one that okayed these camps to happen in the first place. And that's something that a couple of people on the Goodreads group pointed out, particularly Nancy. And I just, I, ha- I have to agree, at one point in my life he was probably my favorite president because of the the National Parks, and now I know so much more. Ooh, National Parks was Theodore Roosevelt, you're thinking
1: Franklin Delano, who did do all those depression things that okay. you did reference. Okay, thanks. But, no, but yeah, in, in general, the, the Roosevelt's as presidents were uh, a little more on the, what we would now call progressive side of things the the narrative around FDR uh, was certainly that he steered America out of the depression and through the war he's the only pr- president who was elected for more than two terms he did an unprecedented four because um, during times of instability uh, like people did trust him to do the right thing and then of course he, died in the middle of his fourth term and uh, it was Truman who made the call to drop the bombs on Japan. And uh, you're absolutely right. In In school, I was always uh, told the story of FDR in that he was this great leader and can do no wrong, but it's very clear after reading this comic that he did make this mistake that affected a lot of people in a really really horrible way.
0: Yeah, so like 120,000 people I think that said were were sent to these camps. Yeah. It's
1: not not a small number. And so I think it's important that stories like this are told because I I think as Americans we find it difficult to be reflective on the darker aspects of our history and mm-hmm. every little bit helps like for people who say like well it's only a comic book well if a comic book is what it takes to tell a story in a way that makes people actually pay attention to it bring it on
0: yeah i mean it's and because it's a it's a firsthand account it, it hits so much harder than you know hearing in a history class that this took place
2: <laughs> the one paragraph
0: in my one history book that mentioned it right yeah i, I think that i think that my ap u.s history class spent a whole 45 minute class period talking about this
2: yeah i don't even know if we we got that much so
1: looking at this um like obviously it's a a powerful story and it's a piece of history that we should all be more educated on um do you guys think that the comic book format helped tell this story in an effective way
2: and why I definitely do. A number of people in the Goodreads group mentioned that the black and white art, in particular, like really helped just focus on the story. I mean, the art was very good, but yeah, just the black and white, um, the black and white f- choice really made it. I don't know, feel feel historical, feel narrowed um, down. And a couple of people mentioned that it made it feel more of like a manga art style, which is a Japanese art style, which was a kind of. Um, spoke to that that Japanese heritage of the people that it was affecting.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I think that because the art was very simplistic. Um, and I think that that did a very good job of conveying that childlike sense that the book was supposed to have because it was Takei's childhood memories. Um, and I think that delivering it in that fashion definitely helped to sort of sharpen the blow so to speak it really emphasized the fact that this was a child going through these experiences and so having the art work with the story in that way definitely made it very impactful
2: I also think that the artists did a really good job at making, especially crowd scenes, even in the camps. They, everybody looked different. I mean, now we talk about diversity in comics and we're talking about how people are of different nationalities and they have different colored hair and they like have different body types. But everybody in this in these camps was was one, um, at least national background. Um, and yet the artists still made them all look very distinct.
0: And I should say uh harmony becker is the illustrator that we're talking about definitely want to want to give them credit
1: yeah that i i think that was uh an intentional choice to rehumanize the victims of these these laws and orders that were passed because um i think at the time with all the wartime propaganda that was going on it was easy especially if Um, people in America had never met a Japanese person to just look at the posters or the newspapers or the radio and television reels and just see like, oh, well, that person's Japanese and therefore they're slightly demonic and they're trying to kill me and I shouldn't trust them. So by by reemphasizing the fact that each person who was sent to these camps was a human being and not just a caricature uh, was a, a really important part of this book being an illustrated book,
2: as opposed to a, just a prose book.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I
2: think it being a comic comic book or graphic novel is also more likely to bring in younger readers, which I think is important because so many of the young people now are more aware of The evils of the world than we were as children because of the internet but um also i feel like i feel like people are more visual now they have shorter shorter attention spans and i think that comic books really lend to being able to put it down um, and pick it up a little bit easier and you have the um the art to to go along with all the narration and the dialogue so there's like kind of something else to pull your attention in at least i know that that's true for me i read i I sit down and read a lot more comics now than i do prose
0: yeah and i think that it. you're right that it is good to bring this sort of material to kids i think that a lot of people don't give children enough credit for being able to handle sensitive material like this because like it's it's definitely a difficult emotional thing to read but kids are able to process that so much better than adults necessarily i i know that i have met a lot of adults in my life who would refuse to absorb the material in a book like this because it goes counter to their worldview and children don't have that established worldview so it's much easier for them to actually synthesize what they're reading
2: what did you guys feel about the switch back and forth between the timelines because we see um his childhood in the internment camps and then we occasionally see his teenage years talking to his father over dinner and then and then we do also see um him speaking to audiences in front of crowds making speeches and such how do you feel about switching back and forth between those three timelines
1: i thought it they the switching between the timelines helped contextualize what we were reading a little more precisely than going linearly would have been i think it would have been a little more boring to be like here are my childhood memories here's me learning from my dad the extra nuance behind those memories. And here's me as an adult finally seeing uh, these things be addressed. Like, I think that doing the story with that structure would have worked, but I think it was more effective to kind of intersperse the childhood memories with the historical context, with the additional point of view of his dad looking back uh, to give us a. a like a more complete understanding of each vignette as opposed to just reading all the vignettes and then going into the background i think it was more effective to have each uh, piece of this story be its own self-contained nugget of information
2: yeah i think that that worked when we saw a whole page or a whole spread of the future (laughs) quote-unquote timelines but occasionally there was just one panel on a page that was like a fast-forward commentary, and that really pulled me out of the story because I didn't really see how him saying one thing in the present now contributed to those same words being said and continuing the illustrations. In the historical timeline, I didn't think that that those instances really added into anything it was just kind of jarring
0: yeah i guess i didn't necessarily have that same experience just because i was looking at it from the get-go as a story he was telling in the present so i it i guess the way that i was reading it in my head was sort of with a george takei voiceover narrating if that makes any sense that was Sort of the way that my my brain just sort of processed the book
2: yeah that 's definitely what it was what I think it was meant to be, um, but I just got so invested in the historical story once the book got going that when I, there was one or two panels on a page that was otherwise the historical story it was it was like, oh yeah, <laughs> he 's telling the story instead of me just continuing with his experiences.
1: I think this works really well as a comic book, but I also, while we've been discussing it, I kind of want it, to see it as more of like a like a History Channel special kind of situation where they film it, but it's in more of a, a historical reenactment docudrama situation where George Takei is uh, narrating it with the dialogue from this book, but they're maybe getting actors to play um, his younger selves. Because um, I think that might work too. And having now read this story, I kind of wanted to reach as large an audience as possible. So for people who uh, don't necessarily read comic books, I kind of also want to see a television or film adaptation.
2: Yeah, I would too. But I think that he does have a play that he wrote. Um, is it Allegiance? Something like that. And it tells a, it. Also tells the story just in a different medium.
0: But so st- even see... that—that's definitely true and awesome. But stage plays are like a medium that reaches even fewer people than comics. So, that's true.
2: but I do want to see this play.
0: <laughs> so to to try and kind of end on a more, a more positive note, I guess. uh What was each of your your favorite moments from this book?
1: I think any time that, like, I think one of the strongest. Uh, elements of the illustration in this book were the facial expressions and when I think about the art in this book I think about any time that uh, young George's eyes just kind of filled up with sparkles because even while these horrific things were happening to him he was still able to find some joy and wonder in the world around him and uh, that was kind of a gut punch to me more than anything else but um, I mean Like we kind of said, when you're a kid, you are kind of able to find the light in the darkness. And I think the illustration in this book very clearly showed that without uh, too much obviousness.
2: Yeah, his parents definitely put a lot of effort into making sure that he had as normal of a childhood as possible, even under the circumstances. And part of that was one of my favorite parts of the book is that his mom managed to sneak a sewing machine the entire way to this (laughs) concentration camp on the other side of the continent and she wasn't for some reason she wasn't supposed to have a sewing machine i don't know why specifically that was bad but her husband was like you brought that all the way here and of course sewing machines now are like 30 pounds i can't imagine when they were all made of metal like it was just great. it was like her little it was her little rebellion, and then she was able to you know make clothes for the kids and and um her husband and such and there was this little part um where she pulls it out of the bag and her her husband is like kind of horrified for just a second, and then they both start cracking up. It was very good
0: i I was a big fan of of little George meeting Japanese Santa Claus and <laughs> we get. We get his internal monologue of being like, wait a minute, this isn't the real Santa Claus. I met the real Santa Claus at the mall last year. <laughs> but then he has that moment of like, but the little kids, they need to still believe in you. So we have an understanding Japanese Santa, but I'm on to you. <laughs> and that just was such a, like a little kid moment. It just, it just really shone through for me.
2: I also like, um, toward the very end of the book, he. I think he meets, oh my gosh, a, one of the president's wives, I believe. Eleanor. And he, thank you, um, Eleanor Roosevelt. And he introduces her to his husband, Brad. And man, it just really bums me out that he had to go through all of this stuff in his life and then he couldn't even marry, legally marry his husband until a couple of years ago. But that, that, scene itself really like this woman went out of her way to meet him even though you know her family put him through all these terrible things and he was able to take all of these these rights that he has (laughs) finally and um it's just you know it was a very nice special moment where he's with his husband and Feelings. My feelings are are there. <laughs>
1: Ooh, no, wait, I, th- I think you're mixing up two parts. There's the part where Eleanor Roosevelt came through the campaign that he was working on when he was a kid and his dad went home because his dad didn't want to shake her hand. And then the woman that he introduced his husband to was his dad's secretary when they were at the camps, right? And she uh, came to see the play. And so backstage at the play, that's when he introduced her to the husband. And, um, but you're absolutely right. I mean, that he's been through so much and was only recently even able to marry is just like, he could do a whole other book, I'm sure on his LGBTQIA activism, but um it was just kind of like kind of snuck in at the end there and it just was so impactful to be like oh you have been doing this work for so long and it's it's still not still not fully there and we all we all got to do the work it can't just be one famous dude we all have to help
2: yeah, for sure. I think these books, um, books like this, memoirs like this that tell the the awful history in the world, are still very important. Um, I've had people say that you know we know we know that these things happened. We know about, especially the Holocaust. Everybody's heard about the Holocaust. Why do we need books like this? But there are people that haven't heard about those things that maybe aren't educated about them, or. Um, the, the materials to learn about them aren't available in their area for one reason or another. And so the, books like this really help build compassion and knowledge in the readers so we can understand the importance of avoiding or stopping events like this because it's, it's, <laughs> history just keeps piling them on and it's awful.
1: What was that about? You wanted us to end on a positive note, Brian. Yeah, thanks, <laughs> <'Cause> I, Kate. Because <laughs> I
2: think we're back I think we're back in our feels. <laughs> my positive note is that Kara has a very uh, uh, much better memory than I do. Oh, and I'm yeah. that's because Kara. Kara read this book last night right before bed,
1: so it probably <laughs> infected my dreams.
2: <laughs>
1: it's buried into my subconscious now. There's no going back. I will never forget this story.
0: And none of none of us should
2: yeah it it, as much of a bummer as the subject matter is the story itself and the art the art and the characters are all very good i do recommend this book you just might be sad about it
1: but it's a necessary sadness
0: exactly it's the
1: sadness of being educated
2: (laughs) yeah i'm very glad that our, our goodreads group picked this one
1: we have very wise readers in our group
0: all right. Does anybody have any any final closing thoughts you want to get out before we, we wrap things up?
2: Uh, thanks to our Goodread- Goodreads group, and thanks to you guys. Yeah,
1: this is a, a difficult topic, but just because things some things are difficult to reflect upon or discuss doesn't mean that they're conversations that we shouldn't be having
0: yeah the, that, that's why they're exactly conversations we should be having
1: that's that's the the takeaway of this episode folks sometimes history is <sighs> tough but you should know it and if you can know it through a comic book hey
0: <laughs> all the better uh if you'd like to follow us on the internet and see what else we're going about uh you can reach us on twitter you can find kate at kate elfier kara is at Karazam zam s-z-a-m i am at brian head And you can follow the show at IRCB Podcast, where we post comic news, art, sass, and more.
2: You can subscribe on Patreon at patreon.com slash ircbpodcast. Without your support this show would not survive. Join now for access to exclusive audio articles, preview of the IRCB schedule, access to early uh, early access to the top of my pile posts and more. Our Goodreads group that we've, we've commended on this episode in particular is a lovely group of comic book friends and we have week- weekly threads. This week we are still voting on our um, next month's book of the month so you can check that out at ircbpodcast.com slash goodreads
1: you can head over to ircbpodcast.com for our creator pronunciation guide our discord server zines merch and everything else ircb If you haven't already, please rate and review our show, Five Stars, on iTunes and beyond, and we'll read your review on the next episode. You can email the show with what you've been reading, recipes, corrections, etc., at ircbpodcast at gmail.com.
0: Infinity Shred is the best band in the galaxy. They do the music for our show. Xander is a lone cloud in a beautiful sky, reminding you that despite the vastness of space, you mean something to the universe. He also edits the show. Thank you, to Kate and Kara, for being on the show with me today. Thank you, Mike, as always, for bringing the show into being. Thank you, Xander, for all the work you do. Thank you, Infinity Shred, for the music. Thank you, the listener, for giving us your time. And until next time, comics are good, and so are you.